0: My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondor Pierre and. Just wanted to come on real quick and let you know that today's episode is a replay of episode one. This is partly due to... I updated last week's episode, if you missed it, about the need to create some space in my life to focus on the things that matter, like family and balance. And so dive back into last episode if you want some overview of things going on with me. But... um. I went back, and I often talk about the four foundational episodes, and the, that is the first four episodes of the podcast. This information is still incredibly relevant, and I really, after it's been nine months of like doing work the way I want to do it, I've never felt more confident in the, the theory, self-determination theory, how understanding motivation for any behavior you want to change is going to empower you to move away from shoulds, pressure, stress towards really empowered, internal, sustainable change. I truly think that this model can be applied to everything. And so in this episode, we're just going to dive back into the basics that are all incredibly relevant to how ineffective and why ineffective diet strategies don't work. They keep us stuck and how to move away from that. So you can create peace in your relationship with food, but also so that you can, you know, create a life of meaningful connection, how you can pursue causes and things that light you up and matter to you with courage and how you can lean into vulnerability and live a brave life. So I am really excited to bring this episode back to you. Even if you did hear it, I frankly don't think it hurts to hear it again. Um, you'll just have to, the perfectionist in me had to not, uh, I don't really think of myself as a perfectionist anymore, but I guess I still have it in me because the, the sound quality is, you know, okay. And, uh, it's interesting too, because I've been podcasting for so long and I, I sort of sound more like timid back then. I don't know. Maybe I was just like dipping my toes in and it's just funny. So we're all about continuous improvement and learning and growth, not fixed all or nothing mindset. So instead of saying this episode is bad, I'm going to redo it. I frankly, that would not be a good use of my time right now because I we got a lot going on. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. I think you really will. And I can't wait to hear what you think. All right, let's dive in. And uh, as a reminder, this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and should not be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling, please seek out a professional who can help you navigate the specifics for your situation. All right, everyone, let's dive in. So today we'll be talking about the ways that dieting and our approach to weight loss goes against really almost everything we know about human behavior change. And the science of human behavior change is actually really well studied. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about self-determination theory. and We'll talk about ways that we're getting things really wrong. And stay tuned because at the end it's not all the ways that we're screwing up, but also some practical tips for what the heck to do with this information. So settle in and get comfortable or wherever you are, if you're on a walk or settle in with your coffee. I've got my coffee here, my big, big mug, and uh, I'm so excited to be here with you today. So let's dive in. So let's first talk a little bit about the diet and weight loss industry. And, you know, the estimates in 2019 was that it's about $78 billion industry. Might have declined a little bit in the pandemic because our in-person weight loss clinics were closed. But it's still highly profitable, and highly ineffective so yes there's a lot of fad diets out there and hopefully you kind of know those don't work but the reality is even so i've um, done a lot of research i've been in a lot of nih research trials and in those trials we actually know that we're really not good at helping people lose weight and keep it off i had a research mentor years ago talk about these studies and talk about how People lose 7 to 10% of their weight, maybe. That's the average. So some people lose more, some people lose less. And then the vast majority over two to five years regain all of it, if not more. So the studies that have been done on weight loss, when we define success as losing 10% of initial weight or more and maintaining it for over a year, the success rates for that at just a year are still about 2 to 20% depending on the study. And these are studies where people, we used to do studies where people would keep a food journal every day for 52 weeks for an entire year. And they would come to groups once a week for the first six months and every other week after that. These are time intensive studies and still we're seeing results that most people wouldn't be satisfied with. Most people wanna lose more than that, at least in these studies. Another study showed that for people pursuing weight loss surgery, the average patient had had an average of five successful dieting attempts, I'm putting successful in quotes there, meaning they lost 10 pounds or more, an average weight loss for these people of 134 pounds, and frankly, if you're listening to this, you might be someone that's like, oh yeah, that's the average, I'm way above that. I've talked to so many people that have lost 30, 50, 80, 120 pounds multiple times again and again, and they've regained the weight. A ton of the time, they blame themselves, but we're going to talk today some about the biology, but how weight loss and the way we approach dieting undermines people's competence or feeling of confidence in themselves and how completely detrimental that is, and how it undermines their ability to make long-term change. So we'll talk all about that today. Hey everyone, just wanted to interrupt myself really quick to make sure you are aware of my new free guide that I have available. This was made for you if you were saying, I want to stop emotional eating, or I want to have alternatives to do instead of eating when I'm feeling bored or stressed but I don't know what that looks like or I don't know what to do instead. Hopefully by now you know me, there's no judgment about emotional eating. There's nothing morally wrong with that. So it's more so for the people that have talked to me and said, yeah, I know it's okay to emotionally eat sometimes, but I want options because I feel better. Sometimes when I don't, emotionally eat or when I address the cause or when I just do something else. Really, the idea is, you know, I'm all about autonomy and choice. So it's just giving your brain some ideas when you're in that moment, feeling that urge to eat. It's really hard to think of ideas. So this is just a quick PDF download that you can have at your fingertips. And it's all of my favorite ideas for quick and easy things, including links to things like inspiring videos I tried to choose some things that really get you in touch with some important topics. Like, of course, Brene Brown has a video in there, my favorite one of her, talking about courage and living consistent with your values. But then there's some simpler ones, too, for if you don't feel like watching an intense video, there's some easier ideas as well. It's all about just going over this list and figuring out what fits you and what might work for you. So check it out. You can find that at drhondorp.com forward slash guide. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P dot com forward slash guide. So check that out and get some ideas for yourself today. So one of the really influential theories that I've used to understand long-term behavior change and apply it to weight loss and more weight management or eating behavior being my area of, of study, is self-determination theory. So self-determination theory is a really well-studied theory. It's been studied for years, and it wasn't, it was earlier applied to other behaviors. Basically, there's a, a number of lab studies, real-life studies, that have proven this theory to fit across school performance behavior, sports performance, work behavior, healthy habits, change in psychotherapy. There's so many other fields that it's been applied to and there's really not something that it can't be applied to. So what self-determination theory helps us to understand is the main key psychological needs that need to be met to help someone thrive and achieve long-term behavior change in whatever area they'd like to achieve that. So what we'll be talking about today is those three key psychological needs based on this theory. So the first is autonomy. So autonomy is really the freedom from excessive pressure to behave in a certain way. It's the freedom from the shoulds, right? So not I should do something. Um, a lot of us feel pressure definitely in terms of dieting. I should or shouldn't eat something. You hear that all the time. Um, another one That sometimes pressures us to behave in a certain way is money, right? So as I pursue my new business venture, something that, you know, influences me is this fear of money, right? And so being mindful of that, but autonomy is this feeling of freedom from that extra pressure to behave in a certain way, freedom to choose, right? So first of all, when we talk about weight loss, and I just mentioned Weight loss being ineffective, it is important to remember that there's some rare exceptions to this. There are some people that lose weight, a larger amount of weight, and keep it off for extended periods of time. The National Weight Control Registry is a registry that documents these folks. So in the registry, you have to have lost, I believe, 30 pounds and keep it off for a year or more. And then they study these people and they see what they're doing. And what I will say is I've been in the weight loss field for a really long time and the people that I've met kind of maps onto the fact that the people that are able to lose weight and keep it off for many years are definitely the exception. So what when we talk about autonomy, what we want to do is give people accurate information about what's truly possible, what's truly likely. And so that you, as the person, can choose what's best for you, right? So my goal isn't to tell you to pursue weight loss or not. I just want to give you the accurate information about it. The reality is, you know, we don't know exactly why the people in the National Weight Control Registry are able to keep it off. It could have to do with their biology. It also could be that some of them are keeping it off in a way that feels really intense and really restrictive, and so they're not really at peace with food. So if you want to get to a place that feels sustainable, you know, and I don't know, I don't, I haven't met enough of those folks, to be honest, and I've done this work for a long time, so that in itself should tell you about something about how rare that is. Again, to promote autonomy, we have to be honest about success rates with our programs over the long term. Yeah, over a year, maybe you'll have some type of outcome, but what about three years down the line, or five years down the line is not good. People don't want to share that data. Yeah, it's hard to collect that data, but people don't want to share it, and it's undermining people's autonomy and freedom to really choose. So that's a major part of the problem when it comes to weight loss. And then, of course, autonomy is also greatly undermined by dieting itself, right? So think about it. If some program tells you this is what's allowed, this is the program, then you start to really feel reliant on the program or the guidelines, the calorie goal, the points goal, whatever it tells you your meal plan is. You rely on that for what's right for you and then you don't learn to rely on your body. So in terms of, you know, there's approaches like intuitive eating, mindful eating, which are very different. They don't tend to lead to a ton of weight loss, so again, giving people information so they can make the choice that's best for them. But if you don't get to a place where you start to learn and trust your body about what's the right choice for you, then you're going to continue to feel that you don't have choice because you're always reliant on some external structure. So this fear of, I can't trust my body, I have no idea what it wants, this disconnect from True hunger and fullness is really, really, really common in people that have done a lot of dieting and weight loss. And there's a ton of reasons for that too. Some of this is that psychological distrust, right? But some of it, a lot of it is biological. And yet people feel like there's something wrong with me. I must be addicted to food. There's not a lot of data to support that. Food addiction is a real thing and we'll talk about that. It's a real effect that can happen But it doesn't mean you'll always feel that way. Our brains are very adaptable and very changeable. So that's something to keep in mind as well. So many times I talk to people about approaches like mindful eating or intuitive eating. And maybe they say, yeah, that kind of sounds good, but it causes a lot of fear for people. They do have so little trust in themselves and their body that eating without any structure freaks them out. And so this is how intensely strict programs get so much traction. So Food Addicts Anonymous is one of those. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, if you get peace from the idea that you just don't eat any sugar or flour, cool. And again, this is all about autonomy, no judgment. But the vast majority of people I've worked with found that these strict approaches aren't sustainable for them, but they feel like they're their only option. So that's the problem is that when we're saying this is the only right option for you, people don't have autonomy, right? So if we're saying you're a food addict, you'll always be a food addict, you have to do this program. Science doesn't support that, but also we're not giving people true autonomy to choose what's right for them. And so that's where I have an issue with really rigid programs like that when they claim this is the only way. All right, so to summarize, autonomy is freedom of choice, freedom from excessive pressure to behave in a certain way. And I really want to promote your autonomy here by giving you accurate information. You won't get any judgment from me. You deciding what's the best choice for you, given the realities of the different approaches to your relationship with food, to weight loss, all of those things. And then you get to choose. You get to choose what fits you, your lifestyle, and the things that you want to focus on in your life and that's what we want to do here. We'll talk a lot about autonomy here and how it maps on to the different things, but my goal is to support your autonomy 100% of the time. All right, so the next key psychological need that is essential for long-term behavior change in any area is competence. So competence is the idea of self-efficacy, meaning that when you set something, you feel confident that you can do it. So I think of it as the you got this effect, right? Competence, you got this, or I got this. So feeling like that you can do what you set out to do. So obviously the stats I gave you above show that for the vast majority of people that attempt weight loss, it's going to undermine their confidence and their abilities. And certainly did this for me. So I started dieting when I was 16. Prior to that, luckily I was you know, pretty ate intuitively. I didn't know that term, but didn't really worry about my weight. And then I decided to start dieting. It was kind of the thing to do. And I was also gaining normal weight gain that you gain at that age. But I didn't like it. I wanted to take control. And really what it did is set me off for, gosh, I always mess up the math here, but I think 12 or 13 years of dieting up and down. And really each time it undermined my confidence, my trust in myself. And I think that's the biggest thing is it causes you to lose trust and faith in yourself. So you truly get to a point where you don't trust yourself to do what you say you're going to do. And much of that, really, we blame it on ourselves and lack of willpower or follow through. But there's so many powerful biological and psychological effects of dieting, many of which we'll talk about in this podcast, but yet I've seen it so many times where the individual just blames themselves. And I know I did that. I was always buying into this notion that somehow, one day magically, I was going to lose weight and keep it off. It just undermined my sense of self for many, many years until finally I gave it up and sort of gave up control of that and it was the best decision I've ever made and the most freeing thing I've ever done. So I, I bet you also know people in your life who are wildly successful at almost everything they do, yet they've struggled to manage their weight. So we have to ask ourselves, do you really think it's lack of self-control or no, absolutely not. Think of Oprah, right? Clearly she's incredibly driven, smart, successful, talent and courageous. And I actually had a client one time tell me that until Oprah figures this weight loss thing out, I'm not going to worry about it. She's got all the resources. So I'm pretty sure she's going to unlock the secret before I do, if there is one. And obviously, at least as of now, there's not. And I don't think there ever will be some magical weight loss secret. Because if there was, we would know about it. All right. So, The reality is that weight is heavily determined by genetics, and then when you diet or try to lose weight, your biology fights you. So in terms of the genetic factor, identical twins separated at birth, raised by adoptive families who never met until adulthood, they've done studies on these folks and they do exist, they have really similar weights. So their weights with their biological twin, highly correlated, almost no correlation with their adoptive family weights. So the studies have suggested that weight's about 70% genetic or heritable they say. Height is about 80%. So if that gives you a sense, weight is only a tiny bit less genetic than height. We don't have nearly as much control as we think and as the weight loss industry would like you to believe, right? So also dieting in itself causes stress in a number of ways and There's been a ton of studies to show this, just the act of calorie restriction, even without monitoring, causes stress to our bodies in the form of increased cortisol. So you can't really diet without getting around the increased stress effect. Also, someone who's lost 50 pounds to get to 150 is burning significantly fewer calories than someone who was just at 150 their whole life. So to sum up this idea of competence, the way we approach weight loss and dieting undermines people's confidence or competence again and again. And if competence is something we need as a key psychological need, which who doesn't, right? Who doesn't need, when we wake up, we wanna feel like we can do the things we set out to do. Well, the way we approach this undermines that over and over and it undermines our sense of self, makes us feel like we're failing, and it's not helpful for any form of long-term change. Alright, so now for the third and final key psychological need based on self-determination theory, and that need is relatedness. So relatedness is the need to feel that one belongs and is connected with other people. So when we think about this idea of needing to feel like you belong, can you think of any ways that this is undermined when it comes to people either trying to lose weight or people in a larger body size? anything come to mind? A lot comes to mind for me. So first of all, it's well documented that weight bias or discriminating people, discriminating against people based on the size of their body or based on their weight is a major, major problem. So we're pretty much constantly giving people the message that you're in a larger body or even a few pounds over your goal weight. You're not okay. You're not acceptable. You're not going to be lovable or happy until you fix this. You're not gonna be healthy until you fix this. And that's vast majority of the time not true at all. So people in larger bodies are discriminated against in terms of employment. They're less likely to get into college or grad school if in-person interviews are part of the process. They're even more likely to be deemed guilty in a fake criminal case. They've had the exact same criminal case details, but if they show a picture of someone in a heavier body they're more likely in some cases to be determined guilty of a crime. So this is unacceptable and it needs to stop. One of my goals with this podcast is to empower you with information, but also create a community of support and empowerment where you won't feel alone. And also you will feel accepted as you are in whatever body you're in so that you can work on whatever is important to you. And this might be you know, you're listening to this podcast, so it's probably some health-related goals, but it might be some other goals, too. When we stop getting so caught up in I'm not okay, I'm not enough, it can free our minds. It can be so incredibly empowering to focus on the things in life that really, truly matter, like social justice or f- spending more time with our loved ones or just some hobby you want to do. It doesn't matter. What matters is it's you're choosing it. Not to mention, when we tell people all the time that their weight makes them unhealthy, medical providers also engage in this weight bias. Even people who have a specialty area in weight management or the field of obesity, this bias exists everywhere. And unfortunately, that's true across the board, and I've seen this many, many times. People are treated differently based on their body size or based on their weight. And frankly, the research doesn't support this. So I've alluded to this a couple times here today. The health at every size movement has been around for years, but I discovered it for myself about six years ago, or at least the book. But unfortunately, few people really understand and know the research and what it says. I think there's a number of reasons this information's not out there more. But regardless, it's important to acknowledge that our weight, particularly our BMI, which is, I've said... Before, I'll say again, is a total crap measure. It was never meant to be used as an individual measure of health, and it says so little about our health. Our habits, like if we're regularly active, if we eat a balanced diet without a lot of unprocessed foods, like fruits and vegetables, obviously, we avoid smoking, we avoid excess alcohol, have way more impact on our health, and also our stress. Stress is harder to measure, but... Our stress has way more impact on our health than our weight. We talked about weight bias itself is going to cause stress, so that could be causing negative health outcomes for people in larger bodies. But the weight itself, there's very little data to support that, and that's something that is not talked about enough and certainly will be a goal on this podcast to talk more about this. There's so many studies that really demonstrate the health at every size principles, but for today, I'll just talk about one. One large study showed a really compelling graph that I'll put in the show notes. If you want to check it out, you can go to drshawnhondorp.com forward slash one for episode one. But basically what the graph shows is that they categorize people based on BMI. because It's what we have. We have the normal weight range, obese range, and overweight range. Again, it is what we have, so it's what we got to use. But they also break it down by whether or not the people in those groups are Adopting four healthy habits that I just mentioned above regular activity balanced diet Not drinking to excess and not smoking So what we see is that people in a larger body People in the obese range do have a higher risk of death if they're not doing any of the four habits and then basically each habit they adopt the risk of death goes down and this is true across the board, but there's a bigger discrepancy in the people in the obese range and again there's a number of reasons that that could be but once you get to the groups that are doing all four of the habits the risk of death is exactly the same and almost non-existent fully supporting the idea that you can be healthy at a wide variety of shapes and sizes okay so what the heck do we do about all of this I hope some of this is empowering and I think You know, I hope it will be, and I think in talking with people it often can be, but it also might be a little intense. It might be different than what you've known in the past, and I can totally relate to that. I think as I've gone through my personal journey, but also my professional journey, I think I've had a lot of moments of, oh man, we're really missing the mark here, and you feel kind of uncomfortable with shaking up the way you think about things, so just want to acknowledge that. But you also might be thinking, um, Sean, what the heck do I do with this information now? So maybe you've lost weight in the past, or and now you're worried you'll regain it, or maybe even you're hoping to keep losing weight and you're just not sure what to do now. Let me say first that all of this research, we can't 100% predict how it's going to map onto your individual life and body. So there are some differences that large research studies can't always predict for. So what I would say is we want to focus on what we can control. And so there's four tips here I have today for optimizing this information, what we know about human behavior and motivation, and using it to our advantage. So first is to focus on your habits and feel really good about that. Feel great about it, actually. So we cannot always control the number on the scale. Often we can't. Most of the time, we don't have control over that, but we do have control over our habits, particularly once you've gotten rid of that diet mentality that I've talked about. Once we're, I know for me, it took a while to start to trust myself again that I can do what I say I'm going to do, whether it has to do with my eating habits or anything. I got that trust with myself slowly back, and I am obviously, still working on it, but there, you know, in terms of your habits, there's really good data. Like I said, that those four health habits matter a whole lot for our health. So if you want something you can do today, focus on controlling what you can, moving a little bit or, you know, adding in some fruits and vegetables and don't stress about the rest of it. So reducing processed foods, again, intuitive eating, will tell you it's important to sort of give yourself unconditional permission to eat, reject the diet mentality, and I'm fully for that. But if you're not quite ready for that, just focus on a few things you can control and feel great about that. Focus less on weight loss, that pesky scale, and stop letting it lose faith in yourself, right? Or letting it let you lose faith faith in your abilities. It's time for a new approach to our health. Okay, so any changes that you make, this is tip number two. You want to make changes from a place of self-respect. This is key. So we know a lot about the science of motivation. And the fact is that when you make changes from a place of freedom or choice and not that external pressure, it means, makes sense, we're more likely to keep up the changes. So instead of spinning your wheels and dieting and doing all of these things that you think you should do, there's a lot of hope that when we start to shift our underlying motivation to from I have to to I want to, that's going to help things to stick more. So how do you do this? You ask yourself, what do I really want? What do I really want to focus on? And you do so from a place of internal wisdom, really, and tuning in. And I do have a tool, a free tool, audio guide, to help you with this if you're interested. And you can grab that. This is basically a little audio that helps you to walk through the steps of when you're feeling sort of out of control or feeling that urge to like restrict or diet what the heck do you do instead? So that's why I created this audio and that can be found at drhandorp drhondorp.com at tune in. So consider this a little non-cheesy pep talk for getting back on track. I kind of hate that term, but it describes what we're talking about, right? For tuning into your health without jumping to a restrictive diet. That can be hard to wrap your head around. So that's what those steps are for. That's what that audio is for. So go ahead and go grab that. It's totally free. DrHondorf.com forward slash tune in. Okay. Tip number three to what to do about this is to spread this information and work together. Create a community of people that can get it. So reducing information is key to start to challenge some of these notions of It's just about willpower and just get it together to feeling understood and accepted. It's hopefully finding more people that get it. And also the people in your life share this podcast with family or friends or people that need more information about this. Talk about how what we're doing isn't working, commit to spending less money on diet and weight loss products. I'd love to see that 78 billion go down, 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 down and focus more money, and time on working on the things that matter. Again, this could be health-related or something else. Okay, so last tip, tip number four, consider other things that you could actually focus your time and energy on if you weren't caught up in the dieting weight loss cycle. So just imagine for a second that you're not feeling that stress of I should eat this way or I need to record my calories or I need to get back on track and what you could actually do with that time and emotional energy. It was incredibly freeing for me. And honestly, kind of sad when I looked back on all of the food journals I've done. Paper ones, Excel spreadsheets. So much time time tracking my calories. And honestly, I got nothing out of that. Nothing. Finally... Making that decision to focus my efforts on other things was 100% the best decision I've ever made. So I want that for you. Maybe you want to free up time to focus on a side project, passion project that, that really gets you excited. Maybe you want to work on a new hobby or passion. Or maybe you just want to spend more time getting present with the people in your life that really matter to you. It does not matter what it is. It's about allowing yourself true true autonomy and choice determining what's best for you. So, again, if you've been listening to the diet industry, feeling off track with your habits or out of control with eating, and you are feeling like that, I need that feeling of getting myself in check, I'm going to walk you through those steps in that free audio. So grab that if that'd be useful to you. This is sort of a a how-to of what it looks like in the moment. Because a lot of people that I talk to with mindful eating or intuitive eating, they're like, Sean, that freaks me out. I don't know, just eat whatever you want. That freaks me out. It's not eat whatever you want. There's more to it. But if you want a little get started guide to how to tune into your body, that's exactly what this audio is. Totally free, drhondorf.com forward slash tune in. So go grab that. All right, so that's all I have for you today. Episode one is officially done, and I'm so excited that you're here. So just a real quick recap. So there's three key psychological needs that facilitate long-term behavior change, which is what we all want, right? And those key needs are autonomy, freedom from excessive pressure or choice to behave in a certain way. Number two is competence. So self-efficacy, meaning I got this, I can do this. And the last one is relatedness, and that is the need to feel like one belongs and is connected with others. So those are the three, autonomy, competence, relatedness. And we've talked today about the fact that the way we approach dieting, weight loss, the way we treat people in larger bodies, the way we talk about health, almost always undermines our ability to feel those three needs in a variety of ways. So we are failing to do things that make sense in any way, shape, or form that would actually help people achieve better health, control over their habits over the long-term, and we're messing it up. What we can do with this information is focus on your habits and feel great about it, make changes from a place of self-respect, Spread accurate information about health and find people that get it or help them get it. And then consider other things that you could actually focus your time and energy on when you're not caught up with the dieting, weight loss, BS, for lack of a better term. All right, so signing off. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times, that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes, or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.